But today, today we come to the grand finale. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, we read, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So far then, the Gospel of Matthew. Many of you know and have memorized that magnificent Christmas carol, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come, and you sing that every Christmas. But do you remember the final verse of Joy to the World? It's not about Christmas. It's not about the baby Jesus. The final verse uh, just rings out, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And Isaac Watts, as he pens those words, draws on them that Christ has authority to rule the world, the nations with truth and grace. Where does he get this? Well, he gets it from our passage, the final paragraph of the Gospel of Matthew. For now... Jesus is risen from the dead, and he has made an appointment with his disciples to meet him in Galilee, and they go. And lo, behold, they meet him there on the appointed mountain. I want to point out four things that happen in this text. Number one, they worshiped him. Number two, they hear him make an extraordinary claim staggering in its implications, not only for them, but for the whole earth. Then he gives them what we call the Great Commission to make disciples in all nations. And finally, he promises them that he will never leave them, that he will always be present with them. Instinctively, point number one, they worship him. Instinctively, their response is to bow before him. You see this in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him. And this word worship is not the common word. This is, an, is a unique and special word in the ancient Near East that speaks of a posture. It is the word used of those who get down on their knees and put their foreheads to the ground in humble acknowledgement of the, of the worth and the grandeur and the majesty of the one who is before them. And so the eleven see him as he comes and they bow. And of course, this is not just about the physical posture. It's about the heart, the heart of worship that those who revel in the glory and the goodness, the majesty, the justice and the love, the mercy of Jesus Christ, it is 
the instinctual response of any of us. Have you learned to do this? Be honest with yourself. Is this your instinct when you contemplate, when you engage with the Lord, to humble yourself before Him, to bow? Why did they do that? Why? Well, in Psalm 30, verse 11, you have this verse. I love this verse. It says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Now, mourning, it's not early in the morning, like 6 a.m. It's the, the M-O-U-R-N, the sadness that you feel when you grieve at a funeral, when there is brokenness or devastation in your life and you're, you're, you mourn. He says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Is that a picture of you? I believe that it is. Oh, how I want that for each of us. Has Jesus lived the life you should have lived? He did. Has Jesus died the death you deserved to die? He did. Did Jesus rise from the dead for your justification to triumphantly lead you to eternal life? He did. And so, do you respond with worship? And these guys, in a sense, they took a risk. It's not a risk for you to bow before him, but they took a risk. Do you know why? Because every Orthodox Jewish man knew that you gave worship to one person and one person only. Who is that? To God. God alone is worthy of worship. If they forgot all those 613 laws, well, you might forget some of those things, but there is one bottom line. The Lord alone, God alone, is worthy of worship. And so they are revealing to us the deity of Jesus Christ there in this moment. I'm so glad God has made you a worshiper. But we read at the end of verse 17 something very interesting. Matthew says, it's actually astonishing, and yet some were doubting. Now, why in the world does Matthew tell you this? In the, in the grand finale of the Gospel of Matthew, why does he just put that in there? But some were doubting. Well, first of all, he tells you this because it's true, and the Scriptures are accurate, and he doesn't need to save face or anything like that, because it's true. And what he's saying is that there are those who continue to struggle in their quest to believe. There are those who say, I don't quite get this yet. I'm attracted, I'm attracted, but I'm not yet, I'm not yet sure. And this word for doubt is not the word in the Greek language for unbelief. It's the word for waver, wavering, oscillating back and forth. And actually, I'm glad this is in the Scripture because it accurately speaks of what a lot of people go through. Not just old people, young people. Lots of young people have questions. And what do we say? You've heard this from me so many times. You're allowed to ask questions in the North Shore Community Church. 
We don't say, we, we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't raise that question. No. Because people can waver. And if you come to me with a question and I say, well, gee, I'm, I don't know, but let's get together, let's study this, let's see what God's Word has to say, let's sort this out. And then together we will. We shouldn't be surprised. Don't you think it's encouraging that he mentions this? But the other reason he mentions this is because the very next breath, the very next sentence is going to be the solution to doubt. The very next couple of sentences are going to be encouragement for the worshipers and the solution to the wavering for those who aren't yet sure. What is it? It is His glorious self-revelation. Because people who are wavering, they don't need John Yenshko to come up with some clever philosophical or apologetic argument. What do they need? They need to see Jesus. They need to know Jesus. They need Jesus clearly revealed to them. And that's what He does. He reveals Himself to them by saying, all authority has been given to me. He reveals himself as King of kings and Lord of lords. Then he reveals his grand cause. You'll see that in, in, in the next point. He reveals his grand cause to recapture a renegade planet. And then he makes this beautiful promise. I am with you always to the end of the age. This is one of the most optimistic passages of the Bible, and I want us to look at it together. Notice it has the word all four times in it. This is fascinating. All authority is given to me. That'll be point two. Then twice, go to all nations, teaching them to observe all I have commanded. That's the great commission. That's point three. And then he says, I will be with you all the time. That's point four. So, let me ask you if you believe what comes next, the extraordinary claim of Jesus, all authority is given to me. I think he said this because this transformation of him is staggering. He was bloody. He was beaten. He was a crown of thorns, ugly thorns pressed upon his skull. He dies in humiliation, mocked. He dies hanging on a cross. That is what they knew. And now he is alive, risen from the dead. And he is saying, I am going to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. And brothers, he says, I want you to know this. Come to me. Worship me. Follow me. Obey me. Let me fill and touch your life and encourage your soul. I will take care of you. Are you worried about your circumstances? Don't worry. I will care for you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And for those of you who doubt, you see, the problem is so often you have an inadequate vision of Jesus. I talk to doubters and unbelievers often, 
it's cool. It's wonderful to have people actually open up about their faith struggles. And I asked them, well, describe for me uh, who you think Jesus is, who you believe Jesus is. And you know, when they're done describing him, I say, well, I don't believe in that Jesus. And they describe a Jesus who is marginally committed or who is half-hearted or who is weak or puny. And it's helpful for us to remind people who He is revealed to be. For example, in Daniel, look at the verses in the outline there, just working through them. In Daniel 7, there's this prophecy of one who is to come. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. How important is this? See, this is fulfilled. This is Jesus. This is talking about Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul, he write, he's a letter writer. Some of you like to write letters. He's a letter writer. He writes to the church at Rome, at Ephesus, at Philippi, at, at Colossae. And listen how again and again and again I'm struck by how important this is to the Apostle Paul. Romans 14, verse 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. You see the phrase? Christ died and lived again, and the purpose that he would be the Lord of the dead and the living. Then to the church at Corinth. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. To the church at Ephesus, it's, it's a run-on sentence, it's a long sentence, but he can't, he can't, he's like me, you know, sometimes I just can't stop myself. He's, he says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the right, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head, as head over all things for the church. And then to the church at Philippi, the verse that Martin and I quote to you all the time. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given to him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And if this is who Jesus is, then when he says, way back in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, then you know he can do it and you know he will do it. Do you believe this claim, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me? If you do, then you surrender to his lordship. You bring your marriage under his lordship. Have you done that, husbands and wives? Have you brought your marriage 
under his lordship. You change your priorities around so that his priorities become your priorities. You make him the hub of the wheel of your life, right? And every spoke on the wheel, your job at work, your sexuality, your hobbies and recreations, your, your use, your, your wealth, everything gets reorganized in a beautiful, wonderful way because he's in charge. Are you with me on this? And above all, it means that Jesus is the king and head of the North Shore Community Church. He's the lead of this church. Well, what does he say next? Point number three. We call this the Great Commission. You know these words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Wow. Here are your marching orders. Go and make disciples. Jesus commissions his followers to make other followers. Isn't this interesting? Disciples. He does not say, go and recruit some volunteers to do some religious work. Volunteers? I, actually, I, I was actually talking with Trevor Nata this week. He's a pastor at Beacon Church. And Trevor and I were talking, and he says, you know, I don't like the word volunteers. I don't like the word volunteers because the people of God are a commissioned people. You don't just volunteer. You are commissioned by the Lord to serve the Lord, to follow the Lord, to do His bidding. And the idea that you just tell people they're, they're religious volunteers has a dangerous taint to it. You are a commissioned person. Go and make disciples. Now, how you do it, where you do it, when you do it, th those things are different in different people's lives. We understand that. But the, it's not called, it's called the Great Commission, not the Great Recruiting of Volunteers. Are you with me on this? And a disciple is a person who then learns from their rabbi and wants to follow them and, uh, and represent them to the world and to train others to be disciples, you see. The word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. It's interesting. It's a nice title, you, it's, but it's some, for some people it's like a carrying card. It's an identification card. I'm a Christian, meaning I'm not a Muslim or I'm not an atheist. But the word disciple is used, I read this week, 267 times. So maybe it's more important in your sense of identity of who you are that you don't just first think, I'm a Christian. It's probably more important to say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm connected to Jesus. I represent Jesus in this world. Does that make sense to you? Go and make disciples. And where does he tell us to do this? Well, it actually, this is really, this is important. When it says go and make disciples, really the accurate translation 
grammatically speaking, is in your going, make disciples, or as you go, make disciples. Now, some of you may go to China, some of you may go to Africa, some of you may go to South America to be missionaries and go and make disciples, but he's not talking about that, not first. He's saying, as you go, and you're taking care of your children, make disciples. As you go to work, among your colleagues, make disciples. Oh, doesn't the Constitution forbid that? No. In your school, make disciples. In your neighborhood, make disciples as you go. And some of you go to China and do it, and others go to Africa and do it, and so, you know? What a blessing this is. And to the nations. It's no longer just for the Jewish people. It's for the Latino, the Asian, the black, the white. It's for the Brazilian. It's for females and males, young and old. Go to the whole earth and be a blessing with this gospel and make disciples. This business of go and be a blessing to the earth, we read about it earlier in the worship service. And if you're watching online and only got the sermon part, we read from Genesis chapter 12 where God said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. That will be Israel, right? And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And now this, now this, Abraham, Abram, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Far beyond merely that that uh, ethnic line that came from the loins of Abraham. The Bible says all who believe in Jesus Christ are children of Abraham. And the message goes to the nations. It's fulfilled in this great commission that he's given to us. And in this command to go, he uses the word all. He uses it twice. Go to all nations. Okay, you're going to cross boundaries and languages to do this. And he says, before he ascends to heaven in Acts 1.8, you know this verse. Do you know this verse highlighted in your Bible? But you, okay, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What is a witness? We say around here, it's like being a signpost, a signpost. What does a signpost do? Well, it points people beyond itself to a destination. And this is wonderful. That's what you are. I've seen some signposts that are really beautiful. And I've seen some signposts that are not so nice looking. We might even call it ugly. But you know what? I don't remember very much about signposts. What I remember is the sign got me to my destination, and boy, was I glad. And you are a signpost for your family members and your colleagues and your classmates and your neighbors 
you're a signpost to get them to Jesus, to a relationship with Him. And that's when you've got your job done, when you've got them where they need to go. And you need to be a credible signpost. Now, 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 if it's in some of the movies I've seen, you know, the signposts have a mind of their own and they, they twist or they blow around in the wind, this way, that way. No, you have to be a credible signpost. You have to be an authentic witness. <laughs> in the court of law, they do not accept non-credible witnesses. In fact, they try and your lawyer, the opposing lawyers, wants to discredit your witnesses. You have to be a credible witness because you can't give away what you don't have. So, brothers and sisters, we want to be credible witnesses. Not perfect, those that know how to repent, those that know their need, okay? Not perfection. Uh, people that know how to repent and believe and go to the cross and trust God for forgiveness and then put on the new man. If you're not authentic, well, it's like this. Suppose I tell you, I really love Nina. I love Nina. She does my laundry. She does laundry for me. I love Nina because she uh, manages the, all my finances so efficiently, you know. I love Nina because of how much fun she, and how she makes me laugh. And, and I, as you hear me say those things, you might think to yourself, I'm not so sure this guy loves Nina. He just loves himself. He just loves her just because of what she does for him. But suppose I tell you that Nina has captured my heart. And the beauty of her character and the way she serves other people has so so gripped me. And, and, and her outer beauty as well as her inner beauty is so attractive to me. And I celebrate her every day. Now, how does that sound? That sound credible? You believe that, you see. And when people are attracted to Jesus, they will be united to Jesus. That's what we want to do. Now, then he says, baptize them. What in the world? Why does he say that, baptizing them? Well, that is because baptism is the public initiation into the covenant community of God. It is the acknowledgement that now the Lord is my Lord. And you can't be a Lone Ranger Christian. You must be initiated into the covenant community, into the family of God. And just like circumcision was the sign of initiation in the Old Covenant, now baptism is gender nonspecific for men and women, boys and girls. For everyone, baptism is the sign. With the pouring of water upon the head of the convert, with the pouring of water on the heads of the children of converts, as they are brought into the covenant community, households belonging to Jesus, and from there, we teach them all that Jesus has commanded. And it's about discipleship. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Do you know this verse? This is so beautiful. It says, Therefore, 
as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, and abounding with thanksgiving. There you go. You received him as Lord. You were converted. You were baptized. And baptism signifies that entrance in. But it doesn't end there. So continue to walk in him. And the agricultural and construction metaphor. Being rooted solid in him. Grounded. It means like a building has a foundation. A foundation poured in him for your life. And so you walk with him the rest of your days. You know, Jesus hung out with these, these disciples for three years. And he focused on, on three, Peter, James, and John, you know. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I discipled you. Now you, Timothy, pass on to faithful men who will in turn pass on to others. See this multiplication principle? It's beautiful. You are not, you are not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're not a, a lake with no exit that's stagnant. You're not a stagnant pond. You're a river and the grace of God flows to you and flows through you to others. So, who is discipling you? I wonder if you can answer that question. Who is discipling you? You see, disciple is both a noun and a verb in the English language. A noun, it's a thing, it's a disciple, it's a person. You are a disciple, that's a noun. But then I ask, who is discipling you? Well, that's a verb. Or who do you disciple? That's, that's activity. It's both. Who is discipling you? If you can't answer that question, you need to call me up and let's have lunch or coffee. If you can't answer that question. And I'm not really quite satisfied with, well, I just listen to Christian radio. I'm not satisfied. If that's your answer, I'm not quite satisfied with that. I watch some guy on TV occasionally. Where is their life-on-life life connection where, from people who know you and are blessing you and helping you? And who are you discipling? There is somebody out there that needs you. They do. There is someone out there, there are a few people out there that God has appointed for you to encourage and touch and teach and model and bless. And if you can't answer the question, who are you discipling? I'm going to get fat. I'm going to need to have three lunches a day. And to talk with you, to talk with you about it. Who is it? Let's explore. Because you have gifts and talents, insights that other people need. You say, no, I just want to stay home and watch Jeopardy. No. No. 
you to be connected in the life of the body. And I know, I look around this room, I see such beauty, such blessing, such potential. I just want the engine to turn on and roar to life. Well, what a challenge. Who can do this? None of us can do this. And so, point number four. Nobody wants to be sent on a challenging mission without backup, without energy, without resources, without supplies. And frankly, you don't want to trust me for it. Who can you trust as you disciple other people, as you evangelize other people? What does Jesus say in the conclusion of this magnificent book of the Bible? He says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Does your car warranty expire? You know, you've got 36-month warranty, and it's always in the 38th month that the check engine light comes on. You know, the transmission starts to grind. It, there's no term limit on this promise. Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. I don't care how old you are. He's not forsaken you. He's not given up on you. I don't care how young you are. He's there with you. You know, we started this sermon series almost three years ago, maybe a little over three years ago. And right in the beginning, when Jesus is given his name, the angel says, he shall be called Emmanuel. Who remembers what that means? Right, God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. The baby Jesus was given the name Emmanuel, God with us. And the bookend at the close of the book, and I am with you always to the end of the age. He is present. He told Moses, my presence is with you. My presence will go with you. I will give you rest. He said it to Joshua. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He said to the disciples, where two or three gather in my name, there I am in your midst. The Holy Spirit brings the presence of Christ. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit to bring the life of Jesus Christ, the truth of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, you know, people believe in the Holy Spirit and they're looking for fireworks and all of this. Well, okay, but the Holy Spirit takes what he hears from Jesus and gives it to you and takes it through you to someone else. That's what John 16 teaches us. So let me finish. Are you on board with the Great Commission? Have I, have I, have I made the siren loud? You know, if the people can't hear the trumpet, they can't respond. In the ancient world, it was a problem. How do you get the people to be mobilized? You blow the trumpet. You sound the siren. Have I been clear? I hope that I have. If, 
If you're not a disciple or discipling, what do you do? Well, that's easy. You just repent. You repent. You turn. You say, hmm, I think it needs to be different in my life. And then you go to the cross. You say, Lord, forgive me. I haven't been the disciple you want me to be, and I, I'm, not making, I'm not making a disciple the way you want me to. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Let's go. You're with me. Pastor John will have lunch with me, and we will talk about who you might use in my life, Lord. Not in your own strength, but he is with you. Let's pray. God, our Father, how wonderful it is that the good news of the gospel is blessing the whole earth. And Clayton said, people wonder, why did you come to Long Island? And the answer is, God, you brought us to Long Island so that we could be a blessing to the people of Long Island and make disciples here. And we thank you for this commission. We acknowledge we are not just volunteers. We are commissioned into your church, baptized into Christ in his life and death, and we will live forever and so until this life ends. Oh, it is our prayer that you would be pleased to use us in marvelous ways. Lord, we have Vacation Bible School coming up in a few weeks. Our youth group is kicking off a, a fantastic fall series. We're going to study the book of Hebrews. Our prayer meeting will continue to disciple people in prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, and extend your, your church. Bless us and make us a blessing, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.